0: As we come now before the very Word of God, uh, please turn in your Bibles, if you'd like to read with me, to the book of Matthew in chapter 3. We've now uh, stepped into chapter 3. We'll take up this morning uh, the majority of Matthew uh, 3. But before we read, would you please pray with me? Uh, Lord, would you sanctify us now? with water and your word. We know that your word is truth. So as we come now before your truth, would you help us to receive it, to take these things deep into our minds and hearts? Would you put aside all that might be false within us, that we would know you and believe you as the true God? By your spirit, would you guide us now? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We'll take up this morning these first uh, 12 verses of the chapter. So this is Matthew in chapter 3. We'll begin here in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, "'Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand.'" For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, "'You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance.' And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of God. Now, where we left with Jesus last week in the previous verses in chapter 2, Jesus there was still just a little kid. At that time, we'd seen uh, Jesus and his family had left, uh, fled for Egypt to try to escape King Herod's attempted murder of Jesus. And, and so now at this point, uh, well, at the end, I guess, of that chapter, Herod is, is then dead. The, the danger of, of Jesus' life being taken has seemed to subsided for the time being. And so now Joseph and Mary and Jesus have settled back in, in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, where Jesus grows up. So as we cross here into chapter 3, Matthew gives us a fast-forward of about 30 years to Jesus in his adulthood. Jesus is about to begin his public ministry. But even given this time jump here, where the scene begins with Jesus as an adult starts with a bit of a surprise, because we don't actually start with Jesus. We begin instead with John. Jesus' cousin, John. So uh, of all of the gospel authors of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not all of them include the birth narrative of Jesus. Only Matthew and Luke have anything about uh, Jesus' upbringing. But all of them, all four of them, include this introduction of Jesus with John the Baptist. This guy plays an important role in setting the scene. Matthew calls him here John the Baptist. That's how we fittingly know him. It's a common title for him. Uh, there are at least four other Johns in the New Testament. The most famous John is, is John the Apostle. He's the guy that wrote the Gospel of John and, and a lot of the rest of the New Testament. So John the Baptist here has this title as, as a way to distinguish him from the other Johns since they don't have last names in their day. But that little epithet, the Baptist, can be misleading if we're not careful. Not misleading because John was, you know, a Presbyterian. John the Presbyterian or John John the Pentecostal or John the Methodist. You know, there's not denominations in the same way those days as we have them now but can be misleading because it makes it seem like baptism is the main part of John's ministry, and it's not. John the Baptist did baptize a lot of people. It's a distinguishing feature, so distinguishing that it almost virtually became part of his name, but he's really after something more than just baptism. You can see it here in this text, which we'll unpack in a moment. When, when John steps on to the scene, he comes now as a prophet. It's part of the reason why he's wearing all the strange clothes, you know, camel hair and a leather belt, and he's got the locust diet and all those odd things. But here comes this prophet, and the people have not seen a prophet for a very long time. This particular prophet, they've been waiting for for hundreds of years, way back since the days of Isaiah. And you can hear what this prophet then has come to do because this piece in Isaiah is mentioned in verse 3. Let me read it again. Uh, This is he, they're speaking now of John, this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, here's uh, John's mission, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. That's his purpose. Notice in here, there's nothing about baptism particular. That is, he's not mainly about baptism. John is here to prepare the way of the Lord. We could say John's there to roll out the red carpet for the king. Now, how does John do that? What message does John the Baptist bring to prepare the way of the Lord? John sums up his whole message in one sentence. In fact, we'll read the sentence in a moment. It's the very same sentence, word for word, that Jesus is going to pick up later in chapter 4. That is part of Jesus' ministry as well, but we hear it from the mouth of John the Baptist first. That sentence is in verse two. I'll read it again. Here's this message Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Would have made a good preacher, right? You think I talk too long? Boy, this guy knows how to like boil it down. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is, it's on the cusp, it's in your backyard. That is, if you took a a really deep breath, you would breathe in kingdom air. It is that close. And there is lots to be celebrated about the coming of the kingdom of heaven. You know, the Lord is about to act now in very new and exciting ways through Jesus, but. John here does not take a celebratory approach. This is not a party for him. Because he gives mostly some stern words, which are fitting, and we need to hear them. Because the kingdom of of heaven is at hand, he gives us one call, a call to repent. If we had to boil the whole thing down to one word, that would be it. This repentance, by the way, is not just for a few baddies. You know, the worst of the worst. You, 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 you repent. The rest of you are fine. This is a, this is a broad call for everyone who would come. So now, as John's rolling out this red carpet, we can see then that the red carpet is splitting into two parts. Those who would repent and those who would not The path of repentance, he says, leads to life, leads to the kingdom and such. The path of unrepentance, however, as he keeps talking, leads to death, leads to the very wrath of God. Repentance, then, is not just an optional add-on. Repentance is not like a decal on the side of the car that you can have it or not. Without repentance, there is no life in the kingdom. So many people are now coming to John the Baptist. They hear his message. They hear his call to repent. And they take this path of life. Others, however, John describes as being like fruitless trees who are hacked down and thrown in the fire. Ooh. So we want the way of repentance sounds like the good way i want the way of repentance i want life in god so we need to ask the big question of what is repentance that's where we're heading in the rest of our time what is repentance i'll give us a jumping off point here to begin A simple baseline for repentance. In fact, the Greek word literally means this, although it's more than this. Literally, it means a change of one's mind. That's what repentance is, a change of one's mind. Now, let me be clear about this. If you're the kind of person that likes to write things down and you just wrote down change one's mind, that's a good starting place for understanding repentance. But that by itself is an insufficient definition. Because real repentance, we know this, real repentance does not just live in my brain. We already know that it is much more than that. Let me just give an example. Suppose that somebody is gossiping about me. I was <laughs> For a moment, I almost picked out a name, but then it would sound like there's me. Let's, someone's gossiping about me. They're saying some, uh, you know, untrue, uh, hurtful things. That gossip is, is sin. Spreading a rumor of some sort, let's say, I don't know, that I, I, I took some money that wasn't mine, uh, stole it. And later, that person who's, who's been gossiping stops believing their own rumor for whatever reason. You know, They come to the conclusion, oh, maybe you know, he didn't steal it after all. Maybe they just stopped caring about whether I stole it or not. At any rate, they, they stopped believing. They changed their mind. We would not then say that that person has repented of their gossip. Repentance is more than just to change one's mind. We know there's something about that that's unfinished, that's not yet complete about repentance. Repentance does involve a change of mind, yes, but it must also be accompanied by other things in order to be real repentance. So I'm not going to attempt a big, long definition of repentance. I started with that, and I finally gave up on it. What I want to do instead is to really look at this scene with John the Baptist to see what accompanies this true repentance that he calls for. What goes with repentance that makes it repentance? And there are three things, at least, that come to the forefront that are accompanied with repentance. They are confession, obedience, and cleansing. That's what we'll look at. Confession, obedience, cleansing. Let's look at the first of those. True repentance is accompanied by confession. You can see it in verse 6. And they were baptized by him in the river, Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, we're not given details about the ways that confession of sin happened. Somehow, it's clear that they were confessing their sins. We don't know if they confessed to John, as if he went one at a time and heard a person confess all their sin. Maybe they were confessing to each other, perhaps. You know, they knew they'd wronged one another, and so there was some confession happening there. Maybe there was some confession to God, perhaps. It was all of the above. It was all forms of those sorts of things. We just know that in some way, these people, as they're coming in repentance, they're in some way speaking their sin. So godly repentance is not just in the mind. Repentance is also in the mouth. You know, many of us, I would even include myself in this, want, prefer, to keep our confession of sin in our minds. It's less embarrassing there. People know less about it there. If I keep my confession of sin in my mind, it feels safer there, in control there. If The sin feels somehow less real if I can keep it there. But that's, that's really not the case. I just like to think it's that way. So have you ever been in an argument with someone? Never happened to any of you, right? Have uh, you ever been in an argument with someone and then you sinned? by what you said or did in the middle of that argument, because usually there's sin on both sides in some way, and that's often the way, uh, the way it works out. So let's say there's this argument that plays out, and, and, and whatever they did, there's sin on my part, but I don't actually say that I'm wrong. So even, let's say, some time passes, and, and after that argument, I've cooled off a little bit, and I'll have a little bit of a clearer head, can think a little bit clearer, and, and, and with some perspective, then I realize my own sin in that argument, but I never actually verbalize a confession of that sin. I just want to say, I changed my mind. I no longer think that. I no longer believe that. I maybe want to think about, you know, whatever happened there, oh, it's, it's not that big a deal. Consider it water under the bridge. Let's just forget about it, but we, but we don't actually talk about it in that case, it's not really forgotten or dealt with. That sin, if it's left unaddressed and unspoken, is still wedged in there, wedged between the two. Because if we have not confessed with our mouths, we have not actually repented. This is just as important, maybe more important, much more important in relation to God. We know that we sin against each other, of course, but every sin against each other is also a sin against God. We sin against God every day, and and we should not just assume, oh, God knows. He knows that I did this. He knows what I meant. So let's just call it good. Of course he does know. But we are called to confess our sins, to speak them, not just as one big brick, to say, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. No, we're to confess our sins, not sin singular, sins plural, particular sins, specific sins as they come to mind, as we search our hearts for them so that we confess the particular things that we've done and said, thought, believed, and so on. The Christian life is one of ongoing confession and repentance. Now let me be clear, this is not because we need to be reforgiven by God. In case you missed it, let me say that again. That is not because we need to be re-forgiven by God. Jesus' work on the cross is already done. Once for all time, it is finished. That is, the Forgiveness of sin is already put upon us, so we don't need to worry on our deathbeds, say, that, that we've maybe forgotten to confess some particular sin somewhere, somewhere along the way, so I'm racking my brain trying to drudge up something to confess so that I won't go to hell for that one sin. No, that's not what's on the Christian's mind. We continually confess, not because we need to be re-forgiven, but because we love God. When we sin, we offend God, we sin against his glory, against his holiness, and we want to confess that sin to him because we want to keep that sin from from remaining as a splinter, as a wedge between us, which means that when we confess sin with our mouths, we don't make excuses, oh, but I was tired. You know, we don't make explanations. Oh, but I really meant God was this. We don't make evasions. Oh, look over there, what he did, what she did was worse, what they said was far worse than what I did. We don't give any butts about our confession at all. We just admit our own guilt. I was wrong. That's confession. Confession. And confession matters because without confession, there's no repentance. And without repentance, there's no life in the kingdom. That's the first thing that accompanies repentance. It's confession. Let's look at the second. The second thing that accompanies true repentance is obedience. Hmm. That confession was a hard one. It is. This one's harder. You know, whenever there is sin, every time there is sin, there is in some way disobedience of God. A disobedience of his way. So repentance, then, is a desire to return back to obedience. So we could put it this way. That in repentance, there's a change of mind. There's a change of mouth in what we say. There also needs to be a change of hands. That is what we do. Not all sins are by our hands, but you know what I mean. Change in what we do. John the Baptist in Matthew puts it this way in verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance. That idea is carried in through the, through the rest of the New Testament on through the Bible. Uh, Paul picks up this idea of obedience in his preaching in Acts chapter 26, if I can find it, verse 20. He calls the Gentiles, new converts to Jesus, that they should repent and turn to God. This is the part we want, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance, he says. So repentance involves deeds, leads to deeds. It's not that deeds are perfect, not that deeds are, have to be pretty good. It's not even that deeds have to be better than your neighbor. This is not a deeds competition. You know, the people that you think might be the winners of the, you know, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees who were the moral people of the day thought they were maybe winning some deeds competition, but they're not winning at all. Real repentance, however, you get the point of this. Real repentance is committed to some sort of real life change some sort of renewed obedience. Which means this is more than just a prayer we prayed to ask Jesus into our heart one day when I was eight. And the Christian life is more than just the habit of going to church every Sunday and pay the offering fee and calling it good. You know, if you, if you don't care at all about growing, fruitful obedience to God, there's no real repentance. And if you are not on the path of repentance, you're on the path of wrath that culminates in God's wrath. Unless a person like that surrenders to Jesus, what John says about the Pharisees is true of them as well, that the axe is laid at the root of the tree, that they are awaiting a fiery judgment. I know I know that's scary to hear. Those are John's words, not mine. And, and for a person who's not in Jesus... That should scare us. It should scare us perhaps about ourselves, also maybe about other people, scare us enough to want to warn others, hey, listen, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I also know that at the same time for Christians, for people who are in Jesus, that can produce a scary anxiety in ourselves as well. You know, a Christian, if we're honest, we know our failures. We know our failures to obey God. We sometimes even maybe wonder if we bear enough fruit or bear any fruit at all. And if you've ever wondered that, let me speak to you for just a moment. I'll remind us that that as Christians mature. As we grow, we draw nearer to the light of God through his word, through worship. And as we draw nearer to God, we begin to see ourselves more clearly. The closer we draw to God, the more we will see of our own sin especially as we realize the depth, the scope of sin, that sin is not just about avoiding doing the bad stuff. Sin is also the lack of the good things of God. I mean, I could give you lots of examples of this in my own life. I'll spare you the gory details. But I will share that as I have grown as a Christian I have seen much more sin in myself, in lots of spheres, one in particular, in my lack of forgiveness for others. Seen more of that sin in myself as I've grown. Now, that's not to say that necessarily I'm sinning more in those areas, but I see it more. I notice it when it happens, and even when I notice it, I understand the real wickedness of that. I'm seeing the depth of my sin over the course of life, and as that happens to me or to anyone, it can start to feel like I am a bigger sinner now than when I started. That I am getting worse, not better. You know, start to wonder, fear, even perhaps, oh no, am I I even bearing any fruit of repentance at all? It is important for us to pursue obedience, it's part of repentance, it's a work that really matters. But we also need to remember that obedience is a fruit of the Spirit and it's not about counting how many apples I have. It's not about comparing today's crop, or at least my sense of it, today's crop to last year's crop. Obedience, according to God's word, is about surrendering our lives again and again and again and again to the Spirit and His work in us. As we continue to look to Jesus. So, as real Christians grow in Jesus, of course, He will continue to find more branches to prune, more dead areas to clip off, more buds to water. So, if you're plagued by wondering if you have enough fruit, uh, good fruit in keeping with repentance, if you're in Jesus, don't be afraid we trust the good work of the Lord in us, that he, in some ways, that we do not recognize is increasing obedience through our repentance. That's the second. Third and final component to this that we'll address, third thing that accompanies repentance is cleansing. Cleansing. This one's different than the other two in the sense that cleansing here is not a work done by us. It is a work done to us. You'll notice a prominent part of this text is when, when John's calling people to repentance, that's coupled with a baptism. John says, I baptize with water, but there's a king that's coming, this Jesus who's coming, that's going to baptize you too. And he does not use water. He uses Fire and the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of pieces uh, going on here with baptism. I hope that we'll be able to unpack that more next week as we address more of what baptism is then. But today, at least, I want us to see this, that this baptism, whether it's by water or by fire, baptism is a sign of being washed, a sign of being purified, a sign of being cleansed. Okay? We know that water can't actually Wash sin It's not like sin is dirt on my arm That I could just scrub off with enough water Only Jesus can do this But the baptism is a sign Of that cleansing from God That is the baptism is given As an outward sign Of an inward reality Which means this When there is real repentance There is also real Cleansing Full cleansing. So repentance then is more than just a change of mind, more than just a change of mouth, more than just a change of hands. There is here a change of heart. That God cleanses us down to the very core of ourselves. Now, let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe it? If you're in Jesus by faith and in repentance, do you believe that you have been cleansed? I'm not asking if you agree. I'm asking if you believe. Because many Christians, including sometimes myself at times, do not live in a way that shows that we believe Jesus has cleansed us. That's why we get stuck. Fixated in our minds on particular sins that seem to skip like a broken record, scratch to return again and again to them about one particular sin to go back to that. Now, of course, we're going to sin again. We're likely to still struggle with the same patterns of sins over the course of our lives. And, and when we do, we don't just shrug them off. Of course, when we sin again, we repent again. That is, we mourn of the evil of it, confess it with our mouth, we set ourselves toward renewed obedience by the Spirit, and we trust the cleansing of God to be able to say His words, I am clean because of Jesus. So I'm not going to torture myself about old sins again. The Christian life is one of repentance. It is. But we don't wallow in repentance. We move through it to Jesus because of Jesus. Do not wallow in your sin. Do not degrade the powerful, complete Finished work of Jesus by beating yourself up again and again over old sins Jesus has cleansed you by his blood washed you with water and the word so receive that believe that rest in that Before we end, let me say one final thing. We've said here about John the Baptist that his work is not just about people getting baptized, it's about getting people prepared. That he's here to prepare the way of the Lord, that he's the trumpeteer that's, that's announcing the, the king that's coming. And he calls, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But let me be clear about this as we talk about this preparation. Repentance is, to be sure, a necessary condition to meet with the king. Repentance is a necessary condition, but it is not the first condition. Repentance is a necessary condition, but not the first condition. By which I mean this: repentance is not the first domino in a chain of dominoes. So if I can just push over the first domino of repentance, that it's going to have this ding 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 chain reaction that's going to lead me to Jesus and salvation. It is part of these things, but there is something else that comes before repentance. Repentance is not the first domino. There are several places in the scripture I could go to for this, but I want to show my work. So Acts chapter 5, just two verses. We're almost done. Hang with me. Acts chapter 5, verse 30. This is in the middle of a larger sermon, but the words are these. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Did you hear that last part? God exalted him, Jesus, to give repentance to Israel. That is, repentance is given to Israel, to the people of God. The repentance then, the gift of repentance, is an act of God. Repentance is not theirs to muster up, to try to stir up feeling bad enough about my sin to do something about it. Repentance is a gift given by Jesus, granted by the will of the Father. It is his work in us. That comes before we can even repent. He must work in that. That's why the Westminster Catechism that we talked about earlier in our affirmation of faith calls repentance and faith saving graces. Both repentance and faith are gifts of God, saving grace. Grace comes before repentance even. The first domino in this chain that leads us in the kingdom then is not repentance, not even just grace, but God in his grace. That God is the one who will establish, who will carry out all of his kingdom preparations in us. So then we ask him, trust him, that he will grant us the grace of repentance so that we might live with Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, would you, would you make this true in us? that you would set off these chain of things to grant us repentance, faith, forgiveness of sin, all of which is accomplished in Jesus, carried out by the Spirit. Make us also diligent in repentance, that we would pursue confession and obedience and and acknowledgement of our cleansing, not as our work, but as yours, that you would be glorified in it all. Lord, thank you for bringing us into your kingdom. Help us to live faithfully in it by your power. This we ask in in Jesus' name. Amen.